It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Good day to you, uh, family and friends. Uh, welcome once again to another episode of the podcast, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening. We want to thank you for making us part of your day. We return this morning to our, or this morning is when we're recording, but you might be listening to this in the middle of the night. Who knows? Uh, we are returning, though, in our first season of this podcast, where we are continuing to, con- to work through our church distinctives. We just completed our series on the doctrines of grace. We also threw in uh, an interview episode as well, completing that. And so we come now to our next church distinctive, and that is that we sing hymns. And and that's uh, an important element of uh, our philosophy of ministry in the life of our church. And so for the next few episodes, we want to talk about our thinking, our philosophy of corporate worship, and the musical part and the singing part of what we do and why we do it the way we do it. And if you have any questions, by the way, if you want to ask any questions about uh, music, about hymns, uh, about a philosophy of worship, uh, we welcome your questions. And so if you want to reach out to us at truthfamilybiblechurch at gmail.com, we'd be glad to receive your questions and we may be able to get that into an episode for you. So we hope that these podcasts will be helpful in providing at least an understanding of why we do what we do and why we sing what we sing, but we also hope that you will be persuaded to love and, uh, and engage in musical worship with your whole heart, that you would learn to love these things, to teach them to your family, to embrace them, and to, uh, with, with full voice, uh, enjoy and participate and delve into the musical worship at Truth Family Bible Church, and hopefully also in your own church if you uh, don't attend with us. So we, we want to s- seek to develop a love for musical worship at TFBC. But before we get into the meat of our discussion, as always, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing really good. We've got uh, interesting things out on Twitter. We've got Twitter wars have heated back up, and it's, it's really around the strategy of living in a blue state versus a red state. And do I, if I live in a blue state, do I strategically move for uh, reasons you know, into a more conservative state. And we actually are blessed. We bring a unique perspective. We're in Idaho, probably one of the top five most God-honoring, liberty-free states. That doesn't mean we're perfect, far from it. But we see a lot of people moving from blue states into our area, and we get to have discussions with them around that. Um, and it's interesting that in this same week that this topic is, is exploding on Twitter, California continues its tyranny. That law 665 passed. Um, essentially it means that a 12 year old can divorce his parents. He has the right to decide to leave his parents. Uh, it passed, it's expected to pass the floor and Newsom has already said he's going to sign it. So really interesting that that comes up during this. Uh, however, we did get really great news this morning. I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, the Supreme court rejected affirmative action at colleges. And so schools cannot consider race in admissions. And I think that's a, a very positive move forward. Uh, towards that, and it was interesting because one of the things that the SCOTUS said in their in their write up was 
that these programs employ race in negative manner, so they use it as a weapon. Um, it involves stereotyping, so that's bad. It lacks meaningful measurements. So again, we've always said this, by what standard do you implement these? And the reality is it's just used by evil people as tyranny. So it's really interesting, and I think it's a, it's a great ruling um, for liberty, and it's a great warning for all of those woke companies. So I think this is a great win for truth. Well, that's great. And I do like your shirt today, uh, Jim. Oh. It also says, leave our kids alone, yeah. which is a, a great message, especially in the light of as, as Pride Month is wrapping up. We, it's still in June as we are recording, but uh, we know that this will probably uh, drop as an episode in uh, early July. And uh, in Pride Month, uh, we certainly saw a lot going on in relationship to, especially that chant. You, you probably heard that chant from that Pride Parade. Uh, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children and uh, that, that's, that's the, the response we have is leave our kids alone. Uh, we, uh, th that, that's, that's not what we are, are going to be just simply turning over to, um, to those who desire to corrupt them and to uh, destroy their lives. Yep. Well, good. Uh, good to be updated on a number of things. We, uh, we want to get going on our episode for today. And, and before we get in into that discussion, we want to recognize and welcome to our discussion uh, a guest also onto the podcast. He is also the, uh, the guest of the most recent podcast also in terms of the interview. That would be um, my dad, Mark Steinmeier, one of our deacons at TFBC. So dad, once again, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, as many of you know, uh, dad plays the piano for us and he also uh, helps me with the selection of the songs that we sing from the uh, hymnal that we are using. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we wanted him to be here and to talk with us about this particular subject because of his experience as a Christian that has been engaged and interested in the church's worship for his whole life. He, is, he has seen uh, a lot. Um, uh, Dad, you, you're, you're, you're going to have to let us all know, uh, how old are you? 69. 69 years old. So Having lived his whole life in the church, uh, having seen through, um, you know, having been born in the 1950s and living through the church of the late 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and early 2000s, um, and I, I know it might make you feel old, um, but that is a valuable thing for the church is to have older saints and older people um, who have experienced quite a lot in the church and have uh, thought through these things and been on the forefront of these discussions. And so we wanted him to be uh, in this conversation with us and um, helping us to um, to be informed and to work through these things. Without getting into all of those details yet, we want to just identify a few things of where we're going. We want to have a historical perspective on things, uh, a, a consideration beyond just contemporary issues and arguments. We do want to address some of those, of course, but looking at those also in the light of history. Uh, we want to look at a, a greater insight into issues and principles. We want to talk about values that have shaped Christianity in America over the decades. And so there is, there is value, of course, then in respecting and listening to older men, godly men, experienced men, who can help us think through and talk through these issues. And so we're glad for Dad to join us in the podcast today. As we get into our topic, we uh, want to highlight our website. This is where we have our distinctives listed for everyone. And our website says, we love and sing hymns. Our aim is to worship our God in a manner that is worthy of his glory in a corporate setting. 
Hymns provide a historical, theological, and musical platform that are superior to the majority of modern music. We do not sing all songs categorized as hymns. Rather, we seek to select hymns that are both theologically sound and musically excellent for the glory of God and the joy of believers as we sing together in a corporate service of worship. And so as we begin with our distinctive and how we've, had, we've worded that, we want to acknowledge that this is a big conversation, a big discussion. There's a lot of factors involved here. And uh, this is not something that we'll probably be able to manage and fully flesh out in one podcast episode. So uh, do plan that we will be having uh, several episodes. Uh, We've anticipated that this could be upwards of maybe even up to four episodes. We don't know exactly how it's all going to go. It kind of will will go where it goes and we'll just kind of follow that along the way. But we we don't want to overdo it in in one episode because we it's hard to process and and track with all of those things over a long period of time we will try to keep this relatively short so just know that we might have to stop relatively abruptly and we will pick it up again next week so um, we do want to be thorough this is the time that we have the opportunity that we have uh, decided to take to really flesh out this conversation so this subject of church music has of course often been continues to be a hot-button topic for many people, and we are wanting to talk about why this commitment to singing hymns is a distinctive. And so in other words, we've wanted to establish a norm or a standard for where we are and where we plan to remain as a church in the form of our music. Similar to other distinctives, this is not an area where we will be easily moved. This is something that we value greatly And so we have determined not to be tossed here and there by cultural winds. Uh, This commitment to a a particular musical direction and tradition isn't just an issue of style. And we'll talk again what that means and the differences of style and so forth. But as we will discuss today and in some future episodes, the issue of music and corporate worship for us is grounded in a number of principles. We want to be principled uh, and, and not whimsical Uh, not tossed here and and there. We want to be um, convictional, principled in our decision-making about worship. So let's begin by just highlighting what this commitment to a kind of musical worship is all about. Uh, The first thing to discuss about our musical choices is that we are starting with a recognition of what we are doing in a particular context. What we're talking about is corporate worship. And so the corporate gathering is when the church gathers for worship, when we, when we gather together on the Lord's Day, and we may be gathered at other times as well, but it's primarily focused, of course, on our Lord's Day worship, and that is the bringing together of God's people in a local assembly on the Lord's Day for the purpose of worshiping God. So then, that leads us to our first principle. Our first understanding of the purpose of worship is that we gather together first for God. The public worship service is for him. It is out of obedience to God, and worship is about ascribing worth, exalting, and glorifying God. Now, this is, of course, then something that we do together. Uh, this is about what it means for the body of Christ to come together. This is, this is about what we participate in together. This is not something that we are simply gathered together at a concert. That's different from corporate worship. We're talking about something that involves everyone who is there so as to participate in a united effort. Oh, boy. Let me counter that. So I read an article as I was preparing for this on 
contemporary Christian music in worship. So it was related to worship. And it's really interesting. It said, adding contemporary music will often increase church growth. More people will attend. It's as if churches are growing due to this contemporary music, then adding a contemporary service just makes sense. That was their second point. Their third point was offering different worship options creates a diverse congregation. And I just thought that was really interesting, Danny, as you hit on that. It struck me. We don't necessarily want diversity. We certainly want diversity in age and, and people, but we want unity. We want unity in worshiping the Lord. And I just thought that that was a, had to jump in there. <laughs> Absolutely, and, we're, and we'll flesh that out even further because the that is one of the key elements for the choosing of the type of music that you have, yeah. and it because re, it relates to uh, promoting a togetherness. Right. It's it's singability. It's it speaks to the matter of what you sing and how you sing that relates to the fact that we're together. Yeah, um, that's a different thing than a performance. Well, in the article that I read it, when, when I read it, the focus was on growing. They talked about growing twice. Uh, they talked really talked about offering up almost a menu of services, right? We're going to have different services for different people. Church as smorgasbord. Yeah, and then, and then diversity as opposed to worshiping God. That's right. That's right. So you can even hear in that the 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 emphasis that is man-centered and we'll we'll, we'll blow that up here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, the key element of this is is the corporate gathering is not first about us. And we'll get to our part in it, but it is a Godward focus. And, and so limitation um, to the scope of our discussion is, is really focusing, again, once again, on the matter of corporate worship, the togetherness of the people of God gathered together for a purpose, uh, which is for God. Um, we're not going to be addressing all situations, purposes, and styles of music, uh, musical expression. We're really focused on the corporate gathering. So then the first element of engaging this topic is understanding that the gathering of the saints in the local church is a corporate gathering for the purpose of worshiping God. And from that first recognition, our next principle that governs our thinking is our aim to have and to promote a high view of God. And so therefore, we believe that some music, some styles, some songs help us in that effort and in the, that commitment better than others. You, we have to recognize that some things accomplish your aim and some things don't. And you have to be able to make judgments and decisions about how to accomplish a primary purpose of exalting God in a manner that is worthy of Him. And so as you get to know who God is, as you understand uh, his attributes, his holiness, his grandeur, uh, his transcendence, all, all of the things of, of who we understand God to be, there is a sense in which that affects how you treat him and how, what you give to him in worship. A, a deep sense of his character, his attributes, you, you come to realize that you can't just give him anything and expect him to be happy or pleased with us. And I think that's one of the things about um, when it, the the issues related to church music and worship is there's the assumption partly because of a modern thinking uh, a modern theology there's a thinking of well God would be will be happy with whatever we give him as long as we are happy with what we're giving him uh, God is ultimately satisfied in us right, right. And, and I think that there, there is a there so there's a sense of hey if I like it well why wouldn't God right? And I think there's a uh, we have to be careful about that. And I think we're we're having to be mindful and and 
um, considerate and discerning about some of the differences there. So Mark and I were talking about this earlier in, in, a, in our liturgy. So in the, in the order of service within a church, nobody's going to argue with opening prayer. Nobody's going to argue with Bible reading. Nobody's going to argue with the offering. Nobody's going to argue with preaching, right? They might argue with pieces of it and how they don't like that or that, but they're not going to argue with that as a piece. It's only music, I think, in our, our rebellious bodies that we can push back on. And I really believe it's due to uh, a lack of understanding of the history of it, the purity of it. And it is this, this is the only thing that I can fight for that's left. Uh, so. It's a great point. Well, and because it has been something that has been grabbed onto by, um, by large numbers of people. And it's something that is, it plays a major role in, I think, our daily lives, our, our common lives, that we are, are often, it's something familiar that, that we experience even in the world that we want uh, to be able to bring a piece of that into our corporate worship time as well. And so we'll get into more of that as well. Anything you want to add there, Dad? Or Well, <clears throat> just related to what Jim said before about contemporary music is um, that one of the reasons that um, it's so desirable is that it works. It does work to bring more people in. Right. Their, their observation there uh, is is not arguable, but it, are we trying to uh, come up with the best type of form that works to bring people in, or are we trying to develop a different perspective, a high view of God, and a different idea of how, how we have corporate worship? Yeah, yeah and, well, and, and we well, talk worship. about Sunday is about worship. It's yeah, not well, that we don't, it's not that we it's don't want to grow. It's not that we don't want to evangelize. Right. It's that on Sunday... Right, and you heard me say this, Danny. You've got till midnight, right? I mean, all day, every day on Sunday, worship God. And and, and what we have, yes, is this idea of this is this is for this is for God. Right. That that's the the first and most basic principle that we are that we are standing on, and so uh, ultimately, you start to then get into decisions about uh, how best can we do that? Right. How best can we honor Him? And uh, what do we want to give him? So again, when you have the, that high view of God, a deep sense of his character, um, you just can't give him anything, expect him to be pleased. And so worship speaks to um, the character of God. That's part of, part of worship is, and we've been looking at this even in Exodus, is the recognition that God wants to be known for who he is, and he reveals who he is in his, in his person, in his character. And then he, he wants to be known and praised for what he does. It's who he is and what he does. And that really becomes the, the big part of the nature of, of godly, God-honoring worship is that it has a, a, a Godward focus. And so um, praise for who he is and speaks to what he has done. And uh, not all music does this very well. Well, so let's talk about that. How do we know who he is and, and what he's done, right? We have the Bible. So this is why I love... I love when we read his word back to him as part of worship because that is who he is and that is what he's told us about him and it's the purpose of us understanding it. And so when we're acknowledging that, when we're affirming his word back to him, and again, I I go back to Brandon and Jesse, even in their prayers, I hear tons of scripture built into their prayers and I just think that is a beautiful thing and we want that in our music. Absolutely. So we, uh, we pray the word, right? we read the word, we preach the word, we sing the word, 
it, all of those things are, are elements of understanding that we, we derive our understanding of God from his word, and from his word, we are then able to properly give back to him uh, worthy worship. Right. That's the big idea, right? Yep. Um, and we'll get into definitions in a little bit. We'll, we'll work on defining things like psalms and hymns. Uh, we'll, we'll work on uh, some of those details because uh, there are some people that are arguing, of course, for psalms only, and we'll, we'll just uh, briefly address a little bit of that as well because part of that argument is, well, that's just that's sticking with the Bible only as our worship. And I think there's a legitimacy there, but I think we can talk about why it's, uh, that's not a required um, restrictor in what we what we sing, and that's but we do want to sing psalms as well. I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, additionally, third, uh, having the priority of corporate worship as promoting a high view of God, our music and our singing is also for the edification of the saints. And you can't remove from our our participation from our singing the recognition that we have an involvement and there is a benefit that is designed for the people of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ, once again, Jim driving us back to Scripture and to his word, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so here we see uh, both elements here together. Notice the last part. It's singing with thankfulness in your heart to whom? Well, we're singing to God, but we're also using music to teach and admonish one another in the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. And so we see that there is a, a connection of teaching and admonishing to singing. We don't, we don't think very often, I don't believe, about how much we are actually still um, teaching not just when the sermon is stopped, when we start the sermon or, or when we stop the sermon, that's when the teaching stops. But actually the music is teaching us. While we are singing to God, it is worship of him. At the very same time, we see in, in it what we are doing in worship as instructive for us. We are also schooling ourselves. We are learning and we are training each other in truth and in sound doctrine. So then music is is identified here as a teacher and as a counselor. So this word for admonishing in Colossians 3.16, uh, that's nutheteo, uh, that this is the, the word that is that you get the idea of biblical counseling, uh, nuthetic counseling. This is the idea of, of the way in which we use um, the, the scripture, use things to, to admonish and counsel uh, uh, people with. And it, it has, it's a benefit of correcting it includes the idea of reminding. It includes the idea of comforting and encouraging us. Music has all of these qualities. It teaches, it's a, it has a pedagogical value in teaching, but it has a counseling effect. It has the benefit of encouraging us. Music is very comforting. Music is very reassuring. Music, again, and especially with the, along with the teaching, has the benefit of correcting us and reminding us of truth. I think this is important. So we, we talk about sanctification a lot and progressive sanctification. So you've got, um, if we worship with a higher view of God, that pleases God. That's hard to argue that, right? I mean, he's, he's glorified through that. And so I've said this, at the beginning of the service, if we are submitted to God and we are worshiping him and we're all growing in sanctification in that worship service, by the end of it, you're going to be glorifying God more. And, and this is an important thing as we go out into the week 
You can listen to contemporary Christian music. You absolutely can. But if you listen to things that are more glorifying to God, if they're more honoring to him as you worship through the week, you can grow in that during the week. God's pleased when we grow. He loves our obedience. That's right. And so there's there is value in taking even what happens in corporate worship and taking that with you throughout the week because you're just benefiting yourself. Then you show yourself. up Sunday and the body That's right. is able to worship God at a higher level. You're better prepared. Your, your mind is better trained. You're better encouraged and lifted it, up. All of those things. And the whole body's lifted up. For sure. So That's a good point. Uh, we want to just notice also from this passage uh, that our singing is part of our focus on God's word richly dwelling in us. That's clear in the passage. Our songs are to be scriptural, and, and even scripture itself like the psalms. So once again, we do think it's important. Uh, it, it does instruct us to sing psalms. And so the songbook of scripture, um, it, there's there's a number of different arguments and, and issues surrounding that, and we're not going to be able to probably handle the entirety of it. But some of the arguments are for psalms only. Uh, one of the challenges of that, I've heard some other counterarguments to that as well, uh, the, the Psalms uh, are, are not explicitly uh, naming the name of Christ and identifying a lot of New Testament realities on this side of the cross. And, and so th- those, are, those are things that are, are I mean, certainly they, there's some prophetic elements. There's, it's not that, I'm not saying that Christ is not in the Psalms, don't get me wrong at all. But in terms of, of the New Testament re- revelation and the, the pr- progress of revelation, that the Psalms don't don't uh, capture all everything that the people of God should be singing, and uh, so there's there's that element as well. And I would apply it to sermons as well, Danny. We, we we are called to preach, which isn't just reading God's word out loud. We do that as well, but there is a preaching aspect where we are trying to connect with the people such that they do grow. And so I think there's beauty in understanding. Yes, the Psalms are good to sing, but there's liberty in our liturgy and in, in God's design for bringing people along into that. Well, and I agree, especially because some of our songs can be very uh, theological. That's where I think one of the values of the hymns is, is that it actually uh, synthesizes uh, biblical truth into doctrine that is communicated, uh, again, as a teacher in singing. And we've actually seen that written where Paul will take pieces of the, or Jesus will take pieces of the Old Testament and he'll tie them together in this doctrinal way that's beautiful as opposed to just hitting one piece and then another piece later. Like being able to sing about the Trinity, for instance. Exactly. I love bringing the Trinity involved into, into our worship. The, the hymns do a great job of being able to do that. Additionally, I think the argument for Psalms only does fall short a little bit, as there's a pretty common consensus as well that there are on a, there were first century hymns that even are part have been included in parts of our New Testament. Uh, writings. Correct. That there are ancient hymns and and even uh, perhaps even catechism like elements of New Testament writing that demonstrate the reality that even in the in the early church there was the development of uh, additional hymns. Uh, in, I was in just hitting that on Timothy. I was studying that, and there's literally some some things right. that, that that they read out loud as part of their church service that worked its way into scripture. Yeah, and it's pretty well it's pretty well understood that uh, this has the the trappings of a song of of a hymn exactly. that they just included the words obviously not writing the the musical notes down. But uh, the parallel passage to this Colossians passage of course is uh, Ephesians 5:19 and while saying it similarly uh, a difference between the passages uh, notes that our singing is also to one another. So Colossians 3:16 
it's implied in terms of the, the teaching and the admonishing element, uh, but, and, but it includes specifically it's singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Ephesians 5.19 says uh, singing uh, psalms and hymns uh, and spiritual songs to one another. Um, our singing has an edifying effect. It's an encouragement. And, and this is part of why th- we go back to the very first principle of we're talking about corporate worship, which is, speaks to our togetherness, our, our, our unity together in our gathering. And we're participating in something together. And so when we're doing it together, that means we're singing to God and to each other for the purpose of teaching, admonishing, that encouragement and so forth. Um, our singing is to be beneficial for all of these things. And so all of those factors do need to be taken into account when we make song selections and even style choices. So then, we, with these uh, three principal understandings, we have to then study and consider and make decisions about how what we do, uh, how we do what we do, and why we do what we do. And, and the reality is, we didn't just parachute out of the sky and land in 2023 without any prior context, without any sense of history and movements and trends, and the recognition that styles, preferences, emotions, fights, <laughs> splits, and so forth, they have colored this issue forever. This is a huge topic, and so we need to begin to address some of the considerations and the controversies talk about some of the issues and the principles that need to be weighed as we explain why we do what we do and argue that we are doing our best, making our best efforts to uh, sing things, uh, to, to have music that is worthy of who we understand God to be, to have a high view of God, that we are singing things with a, an understanding uh, and thoughtfulness about the corporate nature of the gathering, uh, and, and to recognize that there is a teaching and a, and a counseling, uh, one another benefit, edification that is meant for the singing of the saints. Well, let's start with some definitions, and we'll get more of our uh, guest to get involved as well. Uh, first of all, um, so what is a hymn? We keep using that word hymn, but what is a hymn? Well, as a category of of songs, it's, we, we've understood it. We've kind of almost turned it into its own category. But a hymn is is really a a song of praise, and it's been understood that a hymn is directed to God. It, it is it is recognized as a religious song. It's not just uh, you know uh, not just any song. A hymn is specifically a song of praise or thanks, uh, typically understood to be given to God. Now there are other types of hymns that people would recognize as not being to the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. Um, but uh, as far as a category, when we're talking about the Christian church, we, we recognize that it's, a, it, it's a become known at, for a particular uh, type of song or style of song and even historical uh, category of singing. And uh, uh, we would, what we're really kind of doing is we're differentiating singing hymns as opposed to the category of singing contemporary or also referred to sometimes as modern music. Uh, so hymns sort of has that older mentality, that older category to it. It's an older de- uh, designation of a type of song given to God, singing to him, about him, um, and for him. And, and so we have other elements of contemporary music 
uh, people would say, well, contemporary music is to God too. Well, but clearly there's been a distinction and a distinguishing between hymns and contemporary music, and we'll, we'll have to talk about some of those um, some of those elements. But there's um, as a category of songs, we uh, we've already kind of hinted at a few things. Hymns tend to be very uh, much oriented towards teaching things like doctrinal elements. Um, we certainly see a lot of hymns that have a counseling element. They're very um, I'm not sure if cathartic is the right word, but there, there certainly is a sense of hymns being written out of real experiences of suffering, of trial, uh, of, of difficulty. And so hymns tend to be written very often towards this counseling element of comfort, uh, of encouragement, of speaking the truth in the midst of suffering and trial. Um, so there's, uh, there's also a sense of teaching rel- and comfort relative to the idea of hope. There's a lot of hymns that have a heavenward, uh, an eternal perspective. So there's certain qualities that we find in hymns um, in these areas. Uh, once again, distinguishing hymn, a hymn from a psalm uh, would be elements related to Christ and the gospel in, from a New Testament context, uh, concept. So that's where a hymn and a psalm would be distinguished. I know that when we talk, when we hear from uh, like the Doug Wilson and the Christ Church, when they go do a psalm sing, they, they go, we're going to go sing psalms. And then it turns out they're singing a hymn. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm seeing a little bit of a blurring there. I'm just, for my own uh, mind and my own understanding, I, I do make a distinction between a psalm and a hymn. Uh, a psalm, I, I really look to the Old Testament Psalter. Uh, but a hymn is is more along the lines of a New Testament song that really references uh, New Testament understanding through the progress of Revelation. So they might mean something a little bit different when they speak of psalms. They kind of look at it as the whole category of, of Christian singing. But we're just making a distinction between psalms and hymns in that uh, in that way. And I think there's a complexity in that definition of hymn because a lot of contemporary Christian music, they would say, is a hymn. Right, it, it was intended for the purposes of it, and so um, I think the statistic is seventy-five out of the top one hundred contemporary worship songs are in the Southern Baptist hymnal. Does that make sense? Oh, really? Yeah. So it's it's surprising that you know it, it comes down to the definition of it, and then within him, what does that mean? Yes. So, and I know you're going there, but I just felt like <clears throat> cautioning to be careful. A hymn isn't necessarily. There's also hymns that are self-reflective, um, that, but in, in normally in comparing them to contemporary music, contemporary music talk uh, deals more with what God has done for me, um, whereas a hymn tends to be uh, even when it's when it's self-reflective, like "May the Mind of Christ My Savior," um, a song like that, or. Um, a, n- a number of those type of songs are calling us to a higher devotion to God. Right. As a, uh, it's about me, but it's about um, because of what I um, typically have learned from Scripture. Uh, what then does God want me? How does He want me to react? How should I then live? Yeah. Typically, like typically I put one of those hymns or suggest one of those hymns after the sermon. Um, that how do I apply it? How, right. How do I That's apply a great it? Idea. Um, and it's more self-reflective. The first part of our hymn is re, uh, reflects on who God is, 
and our worship of him. Um, typically, the first four psalms are like that, some, uh, or hymns. Right. Um, and then the fifth one after the sermon is typically... Responsive, responsive or reflective. And, and so Danny talked about that with worship. We're worshiping God, and then also we're here together. And, and so I think it's a, it's a beautiful picture that I think most people that go to a church, let alone even our church, don't recognize the level of development that is put into this. So it's really appreciated, and it's good for us to understand there is a flow in worship, and there's a flow in the selection of the songs for worship. Yes, so. yes. And... and and what we're doing to, at this moment right now also is trying to uh, make some distinctions and, and um, separate in some measure categorically the difference between why uh, we sing things categorized as hymns, and we'll get to the idea of, of things that are older and so forth, versus things that are, are new and contemporary. So we often will identify things as modern music, uh, again, being new or contemporary or uh, sometimes it's it's categorized under the banner of praise music, uh, being kind of uh, distinguished. It's not this isn't really a, a hymn. It, it's it's more of a of a of a praise song. And, and what some of the um, what are some of the differences or distinguishing characteristics? Maybe Dad, you can also jump into this. We've already kind of identified a little bit of some characteristics of a hymn. What would be some characteristics of some of the modern contemporary or even praise music that? Um, we, we don't typically sing. Well, they, they do tend to focus on experience, and that's really the motivation for the modern music is my personal experience. Um, and the better experience I can have from the music, the better, both in terms of the music and the words. Uh, so um, I think that just separates a lot of of what we're doing with uh, contemporary music, um, the experience, trying to get an, uh, an existential high from the music it, it itself, and well, to generate one, to generate one, to generate yeah. one, right? As as opposed to even being uh, naturally, because uh, we're not uh, we're not going to be talking about. Um, <clears throat> We don't believe in emotion, but they believe right. in emotion. No, that's that's not it at all. It's not about the absence of emotion, uh, or the the absence of a thought of personal experience. But in terms of what are you what are you actually trying to gin up or generate um, and foster? And, and there's there's ways to do that. We'll talk more about that. So here's later a on. great application of AI that somebody did. He took contemporary music, he plugged it into AI, and he said, "Tell me what the common terms are. Tell me what the common." themes are of this music and it was really interesting it was unity and not the right kind of unity tolerance non-critical love and not judgment i mean and that that is so interesting as we describe big eva and as we go through the mm. the history of how we're trying to not be that that this is what showed up in an engine that did did, 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 did this analysis and so i, I think that's interesting it's that, really interesting you mentioned unity uh, because that is really what was a driving force uh, early on, uh, very explicitly in principle, that, um, that they wanted to unite around a common experience as opposed to a common doctrine right? and a common teaching. And so music afforded them that vehicle to have 
to unify around a common experience. Because it's so difficult, it's more difficult to unify around truth and doctrine. Yes. But it's easier to ex- to unify around an experience. Yeah. To around we, we we tend to feel the same things here. We we're, we're involved in the same experience, and so we feel better about ourselves and each other when we're just singing and experiencing this music in a particular way. I thought that's an interesting one. Uh, I d- definitely would say, uh, we'll, we'll expand on this a little bit further, but I, certainly in, in my growing up years, one of the elements of contemporary music, and I think there's been an improvement, we'll talk about that later, but in the 80s and 90s especially, uh, it, contemporary music was characterized by a, a particular shallowness. It was, and, and this is where you know the, the phrase was identified as uh, seven elevens, right? Seven words sung 11 times. Well, that's just really shallow. Um, but, but similarly, in terms of the music and the experience and the, what it was designed to do, there was purpose uh, in, in that. And we'll, we'll talk more about that also here in a little bit. But I, I would argue that often, and again, this would not be exclusive, but I would say often, a lot of modern and contemporary music has a lower view of God. I, 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 I think that's, that's true. I think there's also a mel- an element of modern and contemporary music uh, has a, an affinity for more things, more worldly styles that are popular, and there's an attempt by the church to be liked and to be cool, to be cutting edge, to be, um, uh, to be really in step with, again, the idea of being modern, the idea of being up to date. Uh, because one of the worst things you could do is to be old. That is a very much a mentality. Uh, it, is, it is run, uh, and, and most even church music things are run by uh, young people with a modern mindset. That's just the way it is. And it, it, it is best, um, it, it comes from an idea that, that new is better or best, and, con- and, and it's the movement towards constantly changing. So we're going to get more into this idea, uh, again later, of pop culture, of pop music, and those influences that they have on the church and the church's idea of music and worship. Yeah, and, and Danny, I would say my desire for these podcasts and, and why we're emphasizing this so much, I think that, again, this is the easy one to argue because it's the only one that you can argue. Um, but I think that there's an aspect of, of really educating ourselves on this. So my, my desire for our body and for myself would be that my ears would hear music in a way that I would recognize the differences and then make an intentional choice. Yeah, I'm not saying that we need to be legalistic, but I want us to grow in our understanding of the background of music, the history of it, why we are what we are, such that when we listen to music, all of a sudden we're hearing things that are theological and we're going, oh, I really like that because it worships God, as opposed to just listening for a melody or a purpose. Does that make sense? It does, and I think uh, there, what you're talking about, Jim, is the idea of of we want to train ourselves for worship. Right. And sometimes we have to train our likes. Sometimes we have to train uh, our preferences. Uh, because, again, we kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, we just think that, well, if I like it and it's, and it's my preference, then of course God would be happy with it, and, and so should you. Uh, but we, and, and there is, we'll get into this, it's a huge topic, right? We'll get into issues of 
preference. We have to talk about issues of preference. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into uh, things of, of style and the things that we like. And we're not saying that there is, a, that there is you're not going to hear us say that there is, a, there is one style of music that is acceptable in the world. There's going to be a variety of, th- of styles and types of music. Uh, there's such a variety that God has given us, but there's, there are some things that accomplish the purpose for which we are gathered uh, better than others. And, uh, and, and there's different, uh, there's, we, we've talked before a long time ago, I think, this idea of, of culture and things of lower culture and higher culture. We don't, we don't tend to think about that. And uh, we, we need to address some of those things because there are some things that are beautiful and excellent. And, um, and there are, there's room for preferences and differences and favorites even. Um, but there's, there's also some things that are um, more bedrock and solid in terms of principle. Well, let's talk about, um, we'll kind of we'll open things up a little bit further here. Let's just talk some about uh, history and philosophy. We already, I guess, just addressed, we'll just briefly touch now, the idea that in the New Testament, we, uh, we've identified that there are uh, a number of, of first century hymns that the church would develop uh, in singing about their Savior and singing about Christ, and even things that are um, uh, recognizing the early catechism sort of type uh, and, and creed type things that we find actually in the pages of the New Testament. And so those are wonderful things that uh, we, we want to acknowledge as part of the development uh, of the church and its music. Uh, but church music, of course, has evolved um, over time. There's been, uh, fr- from the beginning of, again, the New Testament, throughout history, there's been differing views and even uh, emphases, in, including corruptions uh, as well, based on theology, based on um, based on a number of things. And that's going to be another part of our conversation at some point, too. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, the bad doctrine leading to uh, bad music, or does bad music lead to uh, bad doctrine, or is there some measure of yes? Um, <laughs> right. There, there's going to be some of that. And I think we, what we have seen throughout some history is sometimes it's the bad doctrine that leads to bad music. Sometimes that is the case as well. And I think you, we, we saw that in pre-Reformational uh, kind of dark ages times when you when you when the music is even removed largely from the people and it became uh, it, it became something that was also colorless when you when you're getting into things certain things like chant there's a beauty there but there are things like chant things that are are um, uh, don't have the, the the beauty and the color and the participation of the people and so really when we're starting really with the Reformation there was a recovery of the value of corporate worship and singing, and we, we, there was an explosion then of singing hymns and the development of hymns. And uh, we, we certainly see that with Martin Luther and many others. Um, but with that, that, that opens up a, an, important, um, an important question or subject. And we'll probably wrap up the podcast with this one here, and we'll develop more again next time. But uh, let's just talk briefly about this idea of, well, you're just against singing new songs. Back in the Reformation, they were writing new songs, and so they were singing new songs. Maybe we should maybe should be singing more new songs, um, because of course everything was new at one time. Uh, what do you think about that, Dad? I know that uh, that's been a a question or a, a, an issue that we've talked about uh, over the years. So, what do you think about this issue of of uh, hey? 
why shouldn't we be singing new songs? Well, <clears throat> it's it's too much of an oversimplification of the subject. It's it's um, it's just uh, something that's thrown out to, to sort of to dismiss the whole argument. Well, you're just against old songs or new songs or new songs. Yeah, you just want old songs. Um, and I think that uh, even in uh, the Reformation times, there was a discussion of music and what appropriate music for worship was. And that's what I think what we're uh, trying to hammer out here in, in our discussion is not old versus new, but what is appropriate for corporate worship. And um, so it's not, it's not just a discussion of old versus new. That's a, actually exactly. a silly um, uh, 100%, yeah, 100% argument. agree. And, and, and we, can't, we can't do it, uh, we can't set things up as uh, old equals good and <laughs> new equals bad. Uh, no, one, no one I know of even really makes that argument. No. Now we have to understand why we would sing more older things, uh, and, and we'll talk about history, we'll talk about heritage, we'll talk about uh, honoring and so forth. There's a lot of number of factors in that. But, but we're not arguing from the basis of old is better by itself. I'm laughing because we're part of this new movement right now where we are family integrated. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> That's not new. That's not new. <laughs> and so new. really interesting, we could advertise ourselves as new songs because the reality is, is these are new. Everyone else is singing something else and we are not. So I think that's a really important understanding that, that we miss out. We, we could false advertise, but... I'm well, not. <laughs> since you opened it up there, Jim, I think that's a great point. Uh, it, it, it's funny, to me anyway, it might not be funny to anybody else, but it's funny to me, that when we sing a, an old hymn that nobody knows, meaning it's new to everyone, <laughs> or at least everyone else, perhaps, it, it's new to, to them, but it, it doesn't give us any credit for singing new songs because it's an old song it, it it but people don't know it it's not it's but it's new to them it, it's, it's some new. but it's but somehow it doesn't count though right that, that's the funny part that's what me. i'm laughing it at. does yeah exactly <laughs> it doesn't count because actually one of the things we've talked about one of our slogans from from when we first kind of started is the old is the new new that's right that that actually some of the old paths are going to be new to people Right. And that should be an exciting thing. There, right. there should be something valuable there. And so uh, we'll, we'll get more engaged in that um, later on. But for now, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. So we want to just thank you for joining us. Uh, until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and your commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. <laughs>